Good morning. Good morning. Hey, hey. Nathalia, you look like you're in like a real place, like in not a garrafus today. <laughs> I can steal the garrafus because I recognize that painting. Oh, is that? oh okay. <clears throat> Just a different angle. <laughs> that might be a car charger or something in the back. I thought it was a blood pressure cuff for a minute. Mm. <laughs> you're kind of in and out, Monica. I'm on my phone. So I was like, I don't even know how to turn that off. Oh, I'm right. in the car. <laughs> yeah, I'm in the car. No, my husband is home at the same time today um, in a training. And then I had the podcast. He says, I'm loud. I say, he's loud. So I was like, ah, okay, I'll go to the garage. You, you could have the house. You could have the whole house chill out. <laughs> <laughs> Makes a great recording booth. The garage is, or the car is a wonderful place to record. <laughs> oh my God. So 50% of our podcast is going to be from garages today. <laughs> Coming to you from home garages. We get the job done. There you have it. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Integrated Care Podcast from the Collaborative Family Healthcare Association. I am Grace Pratt. I am the editor of the podcast, and I'm joined by four of my fantastic co-hosts this morning. We're going to wrap up 2021 talking about the gifts of integrated care with joy and gratitude. But before we do that, I'd love to have everyone introduce yourselves. And outside of work, what I'd love for you to tell us for our icebreaker is what's been making you happy lately? So um, I'm going to just popcorn it around and we'll start with Deepu. All right. Good morning and good afternoon or good evening, wherever you're listening from. My name is Deepu George, and I'm coming to you from McAllen, Texas, with the University of Texas Rio Grande Valley. Outside of work, what gives me greatest joy? Right now, it has to be uh, things that I'm exploring with spirituality on my personal side, which is really listening to podcasts and kind of adopting different practices during my day and trying to keep up the routine. Um, I really admire the monastics, but I can you know, never do what monastics do. So I try to do little bits of it, like morning and evening routines to kind of keep me grounded. Um, and I find myself looking forward to it at the end of the day, especially when my day is, the more busier my day is, the more I long for what's happening in the, or what I plan for in the evening. Uh, so that's been in the past two weeks or so. That's what's been giving me a sense of joy. Love that. Thank you for sharing that. Monica? Hello, everyone. My name is Monica Williams Harrison. I am a um, behavioral health clinician, licensed clinical social worker. So those who know me might find this really interesting. What is bringing me joy right now is I have decided that I am going to make sure that I can have a plant actually live. So I have been exploring different plants and planting and, oh, the leaves are yellow. What does that mean? And researching a lot of stuff and calling plant gurus. There's actually a lot of um, kind of Facebook groups and things of that nature, more than you ever probably really want to know around taking care of plants. It actually brings me joy um, more than I thought that it would. Like even beyond like being in the dirt and the tactile sensory piece of it. Um, it's just been really rewarding to see 
two years now, um, my plants be successful and expanding out to more plants. My husband probably doesn't like it, but you know, hey, it brings me joy. So there you have it. I love that. I have to comment on that. Our co-hosts can see because we're on Zoom, all of the plants in the background of my shot. I always said that I had a black thumb. Um, but what I finally realized is I was just treating plants as disposable. I would buy them and, you know, they lasted longer than cut flowers. And if they made it three weeks, I was happy. And then I started thinking, what if I put like just a tiny bit of effort? What if I like actually water these things? And it's amazing how plants can live if you just water them. There you uh, have it. And then you play music, sunlight. And then my other secret is if a plant dies, I just say, you know, we weren't a good fit. It it wasn't a good fit for the effort that I'm able to give. So the ones that it's survival of the fittest over here for me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Thank you for that. Let's go next to Bridget. Name is Bridget Beachy. I'm a clinical psychologist by trade work as a BHC out here in central Washington, uh, the state of Washington, that is. Uh, I don't think it's probably a secret what I enjoy outside of work. Uh, and it's not really that different than usual. Uh, I'm watching LeBron James do his thing, being amazing. So uh, I wish that the Lakers would play better as a whole, but he himself is always fantastic. Uh, so you might find me screaming at the TV. <laughs> uh, but I'm not ever screaming at LeBron just as teammates. <laughs> you know, if the screaming out and watching the show and enjoying the basketball gives you joy, that's exactly where you should be. Uh, Neftali. I, I'm not going to let Monica's throwdown uh, in the chat go without saying, you know, she just called LeBron a crybaby James, I think. So there's some trash talk going on there. Oh yeah. Oh, he's a crybaby. The he's greatest, crybaby. greatest player of all time, but you know. Oh, hurting my heart. He's, oh, we're going to turn this, we're going to turn this into a sports talk show. He's an now ex- we're off the rails. <laughs> an expert at his craft. I admire anybody who gives their whole self, you know, to their craft. And uh, he's on a different level. He might complain. He is sometimes. an expert. He is an expert. I mean, his flopping skills, I mean, they are amazing. Well, because well, they don't let's, call fouls on him. Let's go to the phones. <laughs> Joe from Lindbrook. Uh, Joe, what, what's your take on... Uh, LeBron James. He's a freight train. baby or best ever. They don't even oh, feel, my. they don't even feel him coming, you know, like he's a freight train. So what normally impacts other people doesn't impact him. So he doesn't get the calls. So he has to flop to be like, Hey, didn't you see he hit me? So anyway, it's fine. Oh, strength space. Pulling out that strength space. Got it. Well, the problem is I have no way to facilitate this conversation at all. I know enough to know that LeBron James is basketball. And beyond that, you guys are way outside of my sphere of knowledge. So yeah, we've just lost like, you know, half our listening. (laughs) Okay. So back on track, Niftali, what's been making you happy? Oh man. Uh, Yeah. So um, I think a lot of little things, but one of the things that's been making me happy is actually just my, uh, my kids. I have two uh, teenage girls and a and a late middle school boy. Yeah, it's just a different stage of life where they're just older and doing things that um, are different. Like my daughter, my oldest is getting. Uh, she's done with her college applications and is getting uh, you know acceptances back. So it's kind of cool every few weeks. Another college says yes, we want you, and it's exciting to see 
see her just find her place in the world. It's just an amazing thing to think that the little life that you helped influence uh, is finding herself. Um, and so, yeah, just taking a lot of, lot of joy in that while we, while we have her, this is our last, this will be our last Christmas with her, you know, at, at home, home. Um, so yeah, so just finding joy in, in kids and, and all, and also all the stuff they bring because there's, they're also like ridiculously busy. So we're going to like band concerts and, you know, track meets and, you know, soccer stuff and things like that. I love that. That's awesome. And congratulations to her and to you and your family. That's really exciting time. Um, I, like I said, I'm Grace Pratt. I am the behavioral medicine faculty at Great Plains Family Medicine Residency in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. And two things have been making me happy and I combined them together. So one thing is the Oklahoma sky. Uh, the thing about living here is that the sky is really, really big. Uh, and so the sunrises and the sunsets just can't be matched, like bright, fluorescent, beautiful, beautiful. And they change like for a minute, you can watch it for 20 minutes and the colors change and the clouds change. And I just love, love the sunrises and sunsets. And the other thing that's been making me happy is art. So last year I started collecting art, um, have really enjoyed putting up different art in my home. And the way that those two things came together is I found a Oklahoma artist. Her name is Madison Langer who paints the Oklahoma sky. Uh, and last year on my birthday, which is coming up again, it's this Saturday, December 18th. But last year on my birthday, there was the most beautiful purple sunrise. It was the first birthday after my mom had passed and it just felt really meaningful. Purple was her favorite color and I'd never seen anything like it. And so I commissioned Madison to paint that sunrise from some photos I had and and I got it and it's hanging in my home. And it, every time I look at it, it just makes me so happy. It's so beautiful. So I think we want to encourage our listeners to look for what's making you happy in life and in work. So we're going to talk today about, you know, switching gears a little bit to thinking about collaboration and integrated care and the gifts of that and the joy and the gratitude. And so I, I want us to talk about a few things, you know, what's been making you happy at work in our field, kind of that same, where are you finding joy? Also, what are you thankful for? And then, you know, this part might be a little bit of a stretch, but where have you been able to be creative? Um, I think that there's so much joy and gratitude that comes with being able to express ourselves creatively, whether that's a new project or a new idea. And so those are kind of the place that I want to spend a little time today. Um, and I wonder, as I was just posing those questions, did anything float to the top of the mind for anybody? Did anything come up quickly as something that you want to share? Yeah, that's a that's an easy one for me because I've been doing a lot of reflection this month. I think the last two years have been so stinking hard, uh, especially from a leadership standpoint. Just all the constant decisions and uncertainty and the stress and you know all that stuff uh, that I, I just have been in a more reflective mood. I think in general and really trying to and I think with some success, trying to ground myself in this, that whole idea of just really finding joy in, in uh, everything, you know, personal and professional, but on the professional end, I think what I have always come back to in my career, but I, I've lately reminded myself of is just how wonderful it is to be with uh, tremendous people who are creative, who are passionate, um, 
and I'm going to name a few people that I, I want other people who have maybe been meeting with. And if I don't name you, please don't feel bad about it. Because the truth is that this is almost a universal experience for me. There's very few people I, I meet with. And I'm like, oh, what a dud, <laughs> you know? Like, you know, like yesterday, I'm meeting with like Jody Palaha and Will Lucenop and Robin Shepherdson. And we're just kind of talking about the journal and the research and evaluation committee and ideas are flowing around how we can create the synergy between the research that appears in, in our journal and what's actually connected to what's going on in the listserv and, and how we can promote the adoption of research. And actually, uh, your name came up, Bridget, because we were talking about how awesome it is when, when uh, Bridget and David post those things on the listserv and get people excited and get people oriented towards data and trying to um, you know, empirically track what they're doing. And so that, that sort of like synergy is with people because it's really around people and their passions. Um, you know, that, that to me is the fuel for my professional life. Um, that in like the other group, major group other than members that, that I meet with are like, uh, TA clients or people that we're consulting with. Um, and so I had a meet another meeting this week with a group in Charlotte that we're working with and is a new BHC who just got on the ground. Literally first day in the clinic was like, I think it was like October 1st or something like that. And she is just a dynamo, you know, she, I would describe her as she's like a, she's like a, a Bridget Beachy six, seven years ago, you know, where she's just like, she just gets it. She's just like, boom, you know, and, and she's hit the ground running, uh, building up this program, getting data together, getting buy-in. And the CMO is totally excited about what's going on to the point where they are going to open a new position at their other site and getting it going. And, you know, when you have those kind of conversations, it really fills you with fuel because you're like, you know, this, this is meaningful. And when you, when you extend that out, and I'm sorry, I'm going on a long diatribe here, I realized. But when you extend that out, um, you realize those are, those are patients that are being served in communities uh, who are getting real help and getting you know, real things. And then with, with our, my conversation with Jody and, and those guys yesterday, you know, th those are professionals that are being supported, that are being encouraged. The field is being pushed forward. Those sorts of things that um, have to do with the people that are uh, invested, uh, passionate, driven. Uh, you know, I, I just am so grateful to just be a part of all that. That that really fuels me. I think one thing that I want to pull out from what you just said is that I've experienced too and wanted to reflect on is the generosity of spirit of people in our field. Um, as I've been working on developing some new projects this year, I know everyone on the podcast, I'm sure is waiting on pins and needles to find out if I got my grant and I still don't know. Uh, <laughs> uh, but as I've been working on that and some other projects, just the willingness to collaborate and share, I think it's in our name, but it's not in name only. It's not in lip service, but it's like, Hey, I've got this idea that I contribute, or I created this resource, use it, incorporate it, um, in the integrated care field and also adjacent in the medical education field. And, you know, I, my primary role is as a behavioral medicine faculty and teaching family medicine residents. And, um, 
you know, all of us pretty much behavioral medicine faculty are people who are integrating at the education level. So we are mostly, um, all behavioral health trained working in this medical education environment and just the, the community there and the generosity is, it just blows me away every time I've been in this little niche of a slice of the field for, um, going on eight years now. And I'm constantly finding new resources, finding new people, finding new collaborators. And it just, it, 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 I don't have words for that generosity and how grateful I am for it. Yeah. I want to hop on the generosity theme. There's a phrase, you know, you are somebody because somebody loved you. And I think in our professional lives, you are somebody because somebody has been extremely generous to you as well, right? In your growth and in your upbringing and socializing into the field. Um, I remember in 2013, uh, 2012, 2013, and I'm like at my pre-doctoral internship stage trying to find uh, something that remotely looks like integrated care. And, and I, you know, didn't definitely didn't have it in my doctoral training. And I was at this big juncture in my life, and um, I always think of uh, Dan Marlowe, who kind of gave me that initial break in generosity. And, you know, he would say, I didn't, you know, I wasn't being generous to you, and he would be very kind about it. But that was my entry point. The whole world of integrated care was really new for me. And CFHA is one of those communities that allowed me to root myself and kind of grow pretty uh, significantly over the last six years, just because of the people that I reached out to and people that have returned those calls and over the last three to six years have become mentors and colleagues and projects and all of that, right? So I think generosity goes a long way in this community. I don't think I've experienced that in any other professional organization. I've been part of a few others. Um, Maybe SDFM kind of feels like that a little bit. Uh, the Society for Teachers and Family Medicine, but definitely CFHA has been an amazing home. What brings me a sense of happiness and joy in, in our work, I had to think for a minute because we're like in the thick of it, so it doesn't feel very joyous at the minutiae level. We are in the process of accepting our first cohort of um, master's level trainees into a PCBH certificate pathway program, right? And so uh, it is with for mental health departments, um, which I may be reaching out to many of you to kind of help, uh, you know, herd the cats, if you will, uh, you know, with the different disciplines and, and all the different identity struggles. Um, but we've been able to bring four mental health programs on campus together to kind of facilitate this. So year one of our experiment begins in January. So we'll see how it goes. Um, so we're really trying to kind of get that um, off the ground. So that, that gives me a a great amount of joy and professional joy and personal joy. And then the other thing more recently is like, you know, we, we've been trying to get this new faculty that have come on board uh, to get some additional training. And we just got funds approved for um, a lot of those training that they'll receive for the next uh, 12 months. Right. And so that's also been like this other cool thing, which, you know, I'll be in touch with Neftali about, um, but that's the, the other cool part of um, professionally what's been kind of grounding me. I can't tell you how hard those meetings are, <laughs> but it's worth it. Like it's worth every bit of it. And uh, we do get to argue for a discipline agnostic framework 
to really focus on competencies that needs to be developed rather than professional identities based on guild, right? So that part really excites me. And I, I want to just like highlight, because uh, this is the kind of stuff that gets me excited and fuels and but highlight for those of you out there who maybe are, are less familiar with the field and just like dipping your toes in to understand the both the importance and the difficulty level of what Deepu's talking about. So typically the guild groups or the discipline areas in behavioral health don't play nice with one another. They don't really overlap, share space in, in an a- academic departments, as odd as it might sound to you out there as a listener, are pretty completely siloed and separated. So you can have a counseling psych program at a school and an LCSW, and they don't really do anything with one another, even though they're both training mental health professionals in the field. So what Deepu's trying to do is get these four departments to talk for the first time around focusing in on primary care and training folks for primary care. And so this is the first time probably in a long time, these folks are even really substantially talking with one another and, and having meaningful discussions about building a workforce. That's like huge. Like that, that, that's, that's like, that's big. Right. And so I just, just to, just for those folks out that don't know what, what that's like, like, that's why those meetings are not easy. You know, I'd like to kind of just piggyback on that. I, I oftentimes say there's this, this saying I have about 50 first dates, right? Like we're talking about integrated care and like trying to get the buy-in and why we need to all work together guild-wise or even within practices. Sometimes I feel like, oh, it's 50 first dates. I'm saying the same thing and the same thing and the same thing. And then as you get closer to date number 50 and you start to see the shift and the change, like just how enlightening that is. And that is what I hear whenever I hear Deepu talk about this. Like, I'm like, oh, there's a change in the shift actually happening. We've been talking about this and talking about this over and over again. And now we're starting to actually see the shift, um, which I just, I love it. We've talked in the past, one of our recent, uh, in the last few months episodes about like leadership and integrated care um, about how sometimes that change is incremental and that part of this is like a willingness to keep coming back to the table, to keep having those conversations. And, you know, we all love systems theory here so much. And that is what we know about how change happens. It takes all of these little bits of nudging towards difference before you can like reach that tipping point, um, to have that influence. And, and I'm grateful for, you know, looking around and seeing those grassroots efforts, none of the integration that any of us are practicing has come about without struggle and by accident, because we tend towards the old way of doing things. It's just the nature of people and the nature of systems. Um, but the, the willingness to stick with and fight for and advocate for that change, um, is definitely something inspiring that I see in our field. We're a kind of field of of dreamers and believers about what can be in healthcare. What's been having, how have you been able to be creative uh, in your role lately? Oh, geez. Yeah. It's, it's an everyday thing. I think, you know, um, I was just, we just hired two more psychologists. So we're up to there's six of us licensed psychologists in the middle of nowhere, you know, central Washington. And it's crazy that like, 
there's six psychologists here and knowing how uh, few there are across the country. And that doesn't even count uh, our amazing master's level folks and uh, our trainees too. You know, just thinking about the team and how much we've grown. And now we're at the point at our mothership clinic where if we don't have four BHCs on in clinic, it's not enough. Like I'm scared when I look at the board in the morning and there's me and only two other people. And I remember when, when I was excited that there was somebody else on with me, it was like me. And I was like, Oh, I got a teammate on with me today. Like, this is going to be, this is going to be great. And then, you know, a few years ago, uh, two was just like, not enough. We were getting to three and three seemed pretty good. And I had never even envisioned that we would have to get to a point where four, maybe even five BHCs on at a time. And, and sometimes that still feels like it's not enough because on a regular basis, I think in our system, we had 24 warm handoffs completed. Uh, and there's two main, well, there's three main sites, but even that, this, that third one is uh, pretty small. There's no, normally only about three PCPs on. And then our mothership clinic there, it's, it's pretty wide ranging. There's normally about like 12, give or take. And then the other clinic, probably about eight. And so I guess where the creativity comes in is we're in uncharted waters. I haven't seen this in the literature. Uh, <laughs> we're out here just like building this thing as we're flying it. And it always shocks me how like the results and the things that are happening are better than whatever I like plan or envision. So I'm just, sometimes I need to just like stop and look around and just like cultivate and like grab what's around me and just take note of it versus me trying to create something. So I know that's like an anti-creativity, but the point being is it like, once you get it up and going, it flourishes and there's this organic aspect to it. So I don't even know where we're headed. Uh, I mean, what happens, what happens after this? I don't know. And that's exciting. Oh yeah. To, to jump on that freight train of like you build it and then you don't know where it goes. Uh, one of the things that we've been experimenting with that I uh, spoke to uh, Dave Bauman about, we had a little chat on YouTube a couple of weeks ago. Um, we talked about a little bit of, uh, you know, dipping my toe into our sports medicine team here and kind of working with the athletic department and kind of seeing um, the athletes um, on demand as they need and kind of seeing them in their environment, which is their training room and kind of being available. So one of the creative things, I, I don't think this is really creative, but this is more out of necessity. So the other day they had a, um, they had a basketball game in our big arena and not in our usual training room environment. And I had like six athletes scheduled and they're all part of the game that day. And so they're like shooting around at starting at 132 and the game is at five and seven. And I have all of them scheduled between 130 and five. And I'm in the arena in like locker room, just trotting around to find a space for like 30 minutes at a time <laughs> to do consults. And that's what I did. And so it was like, you know, it, did it work? It worked uh, fantastic. You know, so it was great. Uh, so I thought it was a good moment of creativity. And, you know, some of these kids, I uh, so much heart for them because they uh, give it their all. And there are also these other things that they're just not familiar with in terms of their emotional health and things that are happening to them internally. And at the, it, one of the touching moments for someone was like this player came in and wants to really work on stuff, but don't have the language to kind of quite get at it. But we know there's a lot happening underneath. 
Um, so we did something to help him ground himself um, that day and he, and to kind of use it in the game and kind of help him moving. But one of the things I told him, I said, all right, your homework is to go home. I know you listen to music. I hear you listening to music all the time with your headphones. What I want you to do is find two songs that can best speak to your emotional state. And I want you to come back with that, right? So we can begin to at least put words to what you're going through. Um, and this is all in like shifting with my laptop bag in between locker rooms. And all of that. So, um, and you know, we're now the, the, uh, the team has been talking to me about kind of maybe doing some more group level things, like maybe some classes and other things to kind of really focus on psychological flexibility. At least that's where my mind goes in kind of helping these athletes. So I don't think it's creative. I think it's just what's becoming based on the contact and willingness and openness uh, for them to kind of experiment with me and me to experiment with them. So I have no idea how this will look in a year. Um, but that's kind of where we are on the precipice of that. See, I told you this was going to turn into a sports uh, show. We're, we're just, we're, that's 2022. We're just going to do sports from now on. Uh, I'm going to have to hand off to Bridget or DP or somebody else to be in charge. <laughs> now for the second time, we've lost all of our listeners. <laughs> I, I think that's really cool, Deepu. And it's, yeah. it is creative. And you said because of it was necessary, but there's a reason this saying necessity is the mother of invention. There's a reason that exists that, you know, we talk a lot again, I just big on systems theory today about process rather than content. And, you know, you didn't have a book of how to do integrated care in a locker room or what athletes need from their behavioral health, um, you know, primary care needs or, but you were able to take and apply these skills, um, and things that work in the exam room can work in the locker room too. So that's really cool. And a great opportunity for a new way of collaboration. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I think that is incredibly creative. And I think that sense of openness is what fuels our particular sort of field, right? Because we have to be open, right? No one is, as Bridget said, like you're, you're doing so many things that are way ahead of where the literature is, I guess, supposed to be. And you're just, you're forced to think flexibly and be open to what the possibilities are. Um, from, from a larger level, when I think about creativity, um, one of the things I'm looking forward to this next year is uh, developing a, uh, a survey, a salary and wellness survey for our field, uh, because it's there's lots of folks who are constantly asking, well, how do we, how do, w what are the standards for paying folks in the field? And uh, what are the working conditions that are optimal for the field, right? And there's no information out there. And so this is an example where for us as an organization, CFHA, we're also having to be open. Like, how do you support a group, an interprofessional group of professionals? How do you support them as they create this field called integrated care and expand it, right? Um, I don't know. There's no playbook for that. There's, there's nothing that says, well, this is how you build it up and this is how you support and sustain it, you know? Um, so this survey is like one way of saying, all right, well, let's feed some information back to the field about what's actually happening right now, right? <laughs> and that's our first step. And maybe that gives us some information that we can build off of for uh, future initiatives, right? So it, I think that sense of openness and um, 
willingness to be creative is you either do that or you don't survive in this work, I think. I mean, even, you know, for you, Grace, in family medicine, yes, there's a history of, of uh, behaviorists in family medicine, but like what you're doing is sort of like, you know, it, it's still taking that to the next level of like, yeah, I mean, even that project you have that that's, uh, you know, the grant you're waiting on, which we're all crossing fingers and toes for you, because um, it, it would be fantastic. Like, that's not what, that's not typical for, you know, supporting providers across the state of Oklahoma is not typically within the scope of a, you know, behavioral medicine faculty. Yeah, that's my place where I've been able to be creative too, and where I'm grateful. So after we wrote our project, our Integris Foundation, the charitable branch of our nonprofit hospital entity said, hey, can we give you a little bit of money to start doing a little bit of this right now? And they gave me like $15,000 and I bought a bunch of heart rate variability, biofeedback equipment, and have been doing trainings with different providers in our hospital. And it's been really fun to be creative and to stretch that and to collaborate with you know, a neonatologist and a radiologist and all of these different physicians who are saying, yes, yes, I am burned out, but no, I don't know what to do with that. And being able to give them really distinct data and tools in the moment that they can use has been really exciting. I want to, you know, we've talked about love, gratitude, joy. I want us to also talk about hope. What are you looking forward to? What are you hopeful for in 2022? I am hopeful for an in-person conference. Yes. That is what I'm, um, I don't want to say I'm putting all my eggs in that basket, but pretty much. (laughs) I think Uh, we're all with you. (laughs) (laughs) It has been, um, it's been so hard uh, to not have that contact. Uh, I feel like it's the, you know, 3000 mile oil change that just routinely happened every year, just being at CFHA. Um, and you know, for two years, the car's running full speed and no oil change. That's what it feels like a little bit. And so, um, I'm hopeful for that. Um, I'm, I'm hopeful for, uh, our communities, uh, kind of shaking out of whatever struggles that they've been going through at least a little bit, uh, whether it's natural disasters or racial justice or economic meltdown, or, uh, kind of like the devastating effects of the pandemic. Uh, So I'm hoping people begin to feel some sense of groundedness around us. So those are kind of two things on my mind. I'll piggyback on that. I too am hopeful for an in-person conference as we are speaking to whoever the powers that be that make those decisions. Um, I was reminded yesterday as we kind of slowed things down to bring together all of our clinicians because we're kind of spread across the state. Um, and many of them are the only BHCs in a clinic. We kind of slowed things down yesterday, did all our safety precautions um, and had everyone still meet together and just had an opportunity to be together and miss that. Like we haven't, we haven't done it in two years because of COVID. And so it was really rejuvenating and kind of lit a little extra um for everyone. It was good to see some of the feedback that everyone gave about it. And so I too would like an in-person conference, <clears throat> Neftali. So Um, I am hopeful that some change will stick in terms of a lot of DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, 
practices um, that a lot of individuals are trying to put in place, I'm hoping that those things will stick. Um, I really feel like, you know, change is hard for a lot of people. But as I continue to watch the change that happens with the younger generation, I am really renewed at what things can be um, and can look like. And so I'm really hopeful for that. I just want to add, add a quick comment. So we're doing our interviews for our residents right now. So I get paired up with a, with a second year, normally it's a second year resident. And we do like a the fit section to see if they're kind of a good fit for family medicine. And it wasn't last, oh, I think it was either last year or the year before we added a question and it says, what is the role what is the role of family medicine in structural and, and systemic racism? And so when we first ask these medical students who are applying to our residency, I mean, it was deer in headlights. People had no idea what to say. They're like, well, there is no role because racism shouldn't exist. And, you know, you could tell that they were trying their best and I knew racism was bad. So I was like, okay, well, uh, all right. Uh, but we were looking for something a little bit, you know, more like you acknowledge the racism that has been built within medicine. Uh, and so now this time around, I cannot believe these answers in a positive way from these medical students where they're identifying and understanding some of the uh, injustice that had been built into the fabric. And then to be able to launch off from there and give specific ideas for how family medicine and what they can do as a family medicine provider, what they could do in their communities. And so I, I know that that's just talk and we have to actually see if things are changed, but that tells me that the curriculum that they're experiencing is being infused with at least acknowledgement, which we got to starting somewhere, right? Um, that there's acknowledgement of this. And it's not just, well, hey, we're all people. Let's all treat each other equally because we know that that is insufficient. So um, I'm hopeful that we have folks that are coming into healthcare who truly want to make a difference and who are open to learning and excited to see things from different angles and maybe uncover stuff that they weren't very familiar with before and on, on all fronts. So I, I'm very hopeful for the state of uh, medicine as we, as we look out. Yeah, and I, I have that uh, similar sense of hope uh, around that. And Monica, I echo that. I, I, I do think that um, a good portion of this will stick. You know, people who have been changed in this way, um, it's hard to go back to a, a different place spiritually when you've really allowed these uh, the realities of our brothers and sisters to influence um, us. So that's a really great anecdote there, Bridget, to, to see it infused in the professional sphere like that, you know, uh, so encouraging. That's, that's fantastic. The thing I'm also really hopeful about, which mirrors what you guys have said, is the true end to the pandemic. You know, I know that there'll be, this will turn into an endemic at some point. But I got a really poignant email the other day, and I hope she's okay with me uh, giving her a shout out. But Dr. Jen Thomas, she's a family medicine provider in, this, in Illinois. And she and I have emailed back over the last few years. She runs a COCM program there um, at a pretty, pretty large institution there. And their group, so, so Illinois and their particular hospital has been hit really hard with COVID recently to the point where their, their staff, their inpatient staff is like, you know, burning out big time. We've all read these stories, obviously, but it's so much more poignant when you know people specifically, right? And, and you're in that area. Well, her, you know, her 
she she has all these folks set out at different clinics and they were asked to basically um, be on call to provide support for their colleagues, to provide behavioral health support, stress management, to dealing with all the death um, that they deal with. So I am looking forward to the end of that, uh, the end of nurses and doctors being at the end of their ropes, um, the end of of uh, the strife uh, around that 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 all that brings up, and a big shout out to to people like Dr. Thomas and her team and uh, others out there in behavioral health departments everywhere who are stepping in to provide supportive roles for their healthcare um, colleagues. I love these messages of hope and also all of the things that you guys have shared today about what's giving you joy, where you're feeling creative, um, what we're loving about collaboration. Just want to, you know, it ha- acknowledge we've stayed in a really positive place today kind of by design wanted to be a little light as we're ending the year, um, but it hasn't been a light year. Um, and my hope is that we can find the light in the darkness, that we can find, um, you know, the illumination of collaboration, the restoration that happens in relationships, and that we can be together and be united in seeing that hope and seeing the the sparks of joy that come through this really dark time that we've had. Um, so that's our encouragement to all of our listeners. Um, and I think that as usual, Deepu has a closing for us for today. This is actually from a book that Grace gave me. So in gratitude for your gift, and it's a blessing from John O'Donohue for the end of the year. So begin, it's called at the end of the year. The particular mind of the ocean filling the coastline's longing with such brief harvest of elegant vanishing waves is like the mind of time opening us shapes of days. As this year draws to its end, we give thanks for the gifts it brought and how they became inlaid within where neither time nor tide can touch them. The days when the veil lifted and the soul could see delight when a quiver caressed the heart in the sheer exuberance of being here. Surprises that came awake in forgotten corners of old fields where expectations seemed to have quenched. The slow brooding times when all was awkward and the wave in the mind pierced every sore with salt. The darkened days that stopped the confidence of the dawn, days when beloved faces shone brighter with light from beyond themselves and from the granite of some secret sorrow, a stream of buried tears loosened. We bless this year for all we learned, for all we loved and lost, and for the quiet way it brought us nearer to our invisible destination. Thank you, Deepu. Thank you to my co-hosts for being here with me. Thank you to our listeners. And we hope that you close this year with gratitude and joy and hope. We'll see you next month. 